Welcome to this week's edition of Worcester Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment Service for the Blind, which includes anyone with a visual impairment who is unable to read a newspaper. We have the permission of the Worcester News and we're recording on Thursday, February the 28th, 2019. I'm Elizabeth Hill and this week's team comprises our engineer Duncan Wynne and joining me round the table is Judith Doherty and Sally Rowe. The clerical work has been done by Carol Hartle and Sue Childs. Uh, copying will be Judith and um, Duncan. And we thank Keir Aldis for the thought for the week and Sheila Joins for the music. May I extend a very warm welcome to any new listeners and hope you enjoy our offering. You will hear some emergency telephone numbers, what's on in the local theatres. Uh, we'll have the thought for the week. We'll open the birthday book. Uh, do tell us yours if we don't already have it. And then we'll have the past week's headlines, sunrise and sunset times. Judith will then read the uh, headlines and the first headline story to be followed by after the headline stories, the stories of interest from the past week. The service is quite free to users. It is a registered charity. If, however, anyone does wish to make a voluntary donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, WYLDS, Worcester, WR5 1DA. And we do thank anyone who has sent in a donation um, it's really good uh, and thank you for um, we need it to maintain our equipment and our service. We do like to hear from you, especially if you have any suggestions for improvement. We have had um, one complaint uh, this week about um, something on um, last week's uh, recording and we do apologise um, for, for that. Add a message in your wallet, leave a message on the answer phone. 01905 Do leave a message. Please be aware we are not here all of the time. Um, a couple of announcements. Um, please uh, request to return your wallets and memory sticks promptly. Um, you will only receive two weeks' worth of recordings. And if we don't get them back, I'm afraid we can't send you any more. If you have a problem, if you're unwell or in hospital or something, do give us a ring or get somebody else to give us a ring and leave a message. And a reminder about our annual general meeting and um, party on March the 16th. It's a Saturday. The AGM is at 230 and the party starts around 4, 430. If you would like to come please let us know. We really would like to see you and meet you. It's, um, it's, it's good to, to meet our listeners and we do enjoy it. So please let us know. Uh, again, message in the wallet or give us a ring. Uh, I'm now going to read out um, telephone numbers 
that may be of interest. Here in Wilds Lane, I've already said 01905 766666. For Worcester Live, booking the Swan Theatre or Huntington Hall, again Worcester Code 611427. For Malvern Theatres, 01684 For the non-emergency police number, dial 101. For Crime Stoppers, it's 0800-555-111. The Worcester Hub is 01905 And the Norbury Theatre over in Joytwitch, again a Worcester code, followed by 770154. And NHS Direct is treble one. For out-of-hours medical assistance uh, between 6 and 8pm only is 0300123 Okay, um, so I'm going to ask Sally now if she will tell us about what's on in the local theatres, please. Thank you. Right, well, starting um, in Malvern, um, there's a play uh, on at the theatre called Art which finishes on Saturday the 2nd of March. Um, and that's a success, very successful comedy starring Nigel Havers. And that's on in the evening, on Saturday evening. Then on Friday the 8th of March in Malvern at the theatre is The Sensational 60s Experience with uh, lots of music, Herman's Hermit, Herman's Hermits, The Swinging Blue Jeans, and the new Amen Corner, to name but a few. That's at 7.45 in the evening. And then on Saturday, the 9th of March, is the Best of Wham. Uh, that's another old group from the past. Then at the theatre, from Tuesday the 5th to Saturday the 9th of March, is Rough Crossing. All aboard for the long-awaited return of Rum, Rough Crossing from Academy Tony and Olivia Award-winning writer Tom Stoppard. And then on Friday the 15th of March at 7.45 is Eric, an evening of Eric and Ern. And that's uh, John T. Stevens and Ian Ashpital who are taking off Eric Morecambe and Ernie Wise. Then on... Um, oh, that's not until the 19th of May. So I think that's, that's it for uh, Malvern. Then in Worcester, on Saturday, on Friday, the Mar- March the 15th, there is a talk by an enthusiastic collector of Worcester porcelain. Colin Millett will give a talk called Worcester Porcelain, A Collector's Tale. It will be held at St Philip and St James's Church, Whittington. On Friday, 15th of March, at 7.30, it's free entry, but donations to the church are welcome and copies of Mr Millett's booklet will be on sale with proceeds going towards the Museum of Royal Worcester. Then um, in town, um, on Saturday the 2nd of March, at the Huntingdon Hall, is G2 Definitive Genesis, uh, playing tribute to the Genesis Band. That's at 7.30. Then uh, also on Saturday the 2nd of March, at the Henry Sandon Hall, is John Kirkpatrick, with support from Paul Jeffrey, 
currently touring the brand new CD that's taking the world by storm. John Kirkpatrick is one of the most prolific figures on the English folk scene and has established an enviable reputation as an instrumental virtuoso, a a concertina and button accordion. Something a little different. Then on Thursday the 7th of March at 7.30 is Juan Martin, solo 2019, at the Huntingdon Hall, a supreme artist of flamenco guitar. On Thursday the 7th of March also at 7.30 at the Swan Theatre is Dusty and the Shades of the Sixties, a captivating musical show that celebrates the life and music of one of the most important, successful and elegant British female singers of all time, Dusty Springfield. Then at um, on Friday the 8th of March at the Huntingdon Hall at 7.30 is Tom Stayed, I Swear Too, um, and he is a Canadian comedian. Then on the Swan Theatre on Friday the 8th and Saturday the 9th at 7.45 in the Vesta Tilly studio is Marilyn, the story behind the iconic woman everyone thinks they know. That's at 7.45. So uh, a wide variety of different things that are available in the local area. Thank you, Sally. I'm going to ask uh, Judith now if she'll read the um, the birthdays for this coming week, please. Yes, right. We've got three birthdays this week. On um, March the 1st, it's Michael Wynne. And um, on the 3rd is Stanley Burden. And the 4th, Peter Williams. So we wish you all a very happy birthday. Happy, happy birthday. Yeah. <laughs> who uh, is our chief fundraiser. Oh. And uh, we, we do thank him very much for all his his efforts. Thank you. Thank you. So, Judith now has the headlines for the week the and then we can be off. Thank you. Right, thank you. Uh, heroin dealer behind bars. Gone missing. Robber sprayed staff with CS gas. Mobile phone shop raid. Council emails joked about dismembering homeless campaigner. And finally, end of an eyesore. And the sunrise now is as early as 6.55am and the sunset is now 5.46pm. And... Now the first headline story. A dealer began selling selling heroin and cocaine after people kept asking him for drugs because he's black, a court heard. Marvin Jackson was jailed on his birthday at Worcester Crown Court after admitting being concerned in the supply of heroin and crack cocaine and possession of a knife as he tried to stamp his authority as a Worcester dealer. Jackson's defence solicitor said people assumed Jackson was a dealer because he's black, so he started selling drugs to make money. Even after he was arrested and bailed last October, the 34-year-old continued dealing the drugs in Worcester from his then home in Malvern. 
Jackson was dealing for four months between September the 20th last year and January the 21st this year after he lost his job and he kept getting mistaken for a dealer by people in Malvern. Police identified a drugs supply chain called the JP Line operating in Worcester, which was being used by Jackson to sell heroin and crack cocaine. A Range Rover Evoque registered to Jackson's partner at her address in Ransom's Close Malvern was stopped on the A449 just outside Poick on October the 1st last year. Jackson, the front passenger, and his partner, who was driving, were both arrested and a dirty Nokia phone linked to the JP line was seized. Police also seized a sheathed hunting knife with a 19cm blade from the boot and a single wrap of heroin from the front passenger door pocket, as well as £138 in cash, the proceeds of Jackson's dealing. John Brotherton, prosecuting, said the phone was analysed and police found 58 bulk messages sent out to known drug users saying active and advertising fat shots, large deals of crack cocaine, and fat bags, large deals of heroin. An additional phone was recovered from the Ransom's Close address and WhatsApp messages showed further evidence of Jackson's dealing. Mr Brotherton said, The defendant has issues with another dealer or dealers. He is trying to stamp his authority on the area. There's reference made to the blue line and how the defendant is going to sort out the blue line. The messages also said, People in Worcester want their drugs quickly and you have got to be on the ball and get in there first. One of the messages read, I'm going to eradicate these geezers. Blue is going to get it. I know his spot, Mr Brotherton said. It demonstrates almost a drugs war in that regard. Jackson told officers the knife had been left in his car by an ex-gang member. After he was bailed, he carried on dealing until he was arrested at his home in Wellington Road, Hansworth, on January the 22nd this year. Police found a second dirty phone hidden in a plant pot in an upstairs bathroom. The Nokia was analysed and contained messages which said active and got both. The messages also suggested Jackson was dealing drugs in Cripplegate Park in Worcester. The court heard that Jackson had previously served seven years for robbery. He had only been due to serve two years as part of one of the first imprisonment for public prosecution, IPP, orders in 2005, but had not been informed he was supposed to complete certain courses, some of which had not been available before he was released. Mark Sheward, defending, said that Jack- when Jackson was released in 2012, he secured work as a maintenance engineer for the Highways Agency, where he worked for six years. However, Jackson was dismissed because he lost his driving licence and then moved to Malvern to be with his partner. While in Malvern, he would be approached by people who would say to him, 
Have you got any drugs? They approached him because he was black and you don't see many black people in Malvern. He thought perhaps that's a way of making money. That's what he did essentially. Mr Sheward disputed that it was county lines, drug dealing, as his client had been living in Malvern at the time and dealing the drugs in Worcester. He said his client admitted the offences in Magistrates Court and stressed that the knife was never used or brandished. Recorder David Chinnery described the case as particularly sad as Jackson was quite capable of making money legitimately and said it was a matter of regret that he turned to the supply of drugs after losing his job. The judge jailed him for five years and eight months in total, four years for being concerned in the supply of heroin, five years concurrent for being concerned in the supply of crack cocaine and eight months consecutive for possession of the knife. The judge authorised the forfeiture and destruction of the drugs and the knife. 14 people a day are going missing in West Mercia, new figures show, with 77% of annual reports involving vulnerable children. 2,945 of the 4,978 missing persons reports last year involved under-18s, and Chief Inspector Graham Priest said he and his staff must identify what the cause of this is. Many missing persons disappear repeatedly. 2,737 reports last year and are vulnerable because of their age, physical and mental health or disappear from a place of care. A total of 204 missing people were found harmed and 32 were found dead between January and December 2018. There are maybe fewer people going missing per year, but I would imagine more repeat people going missing, said Chief Inspector Priest, a missing person coordinator within the force. Maybe because they are placed somewhere they don't want to be. You can see the group most likely to go missing were regularly in West Mercia, are under 18s, he continued. He said a specialised police team work closely with care facilities, councils, schools and other authorities to tackle the issues. There were 2,126 reports of people missing from care or foster care, according to the figures, but Chief Inspector Priest was keen to emphasise that children going missing are not solely those in care. Kids who live with parents are still going missing, he said. People who are regularly going missing is a symptom of other issues. We want to understand what these issues are and what we can do with the other people around the table to take that away and make that person safer. Chief Inspector Priest added, I think police have got to have a greater understanding of the cyber world to understand the risks and threats and also the opportunities to identify where we can achieve our objectives. To help tackle this, the constabulary is one of the first to team up with the Missing People charity and the Samaritans to provide an innovative text-safe service to vulnerable people. A message, followed up with a phone call, can be sent quickly to a person identified at risk, signposting them to other services and putting them in touch with one of the Samaritans. This is all logged on the police system and used to better understand the issues and how to resolve them. 
One in three people engaged with this service last year compared to one in 20 who were reached previously. Chief Inspector Priest said that the many people who go missing do not want to deal directly with the police and these schemes are a way of recognising that. He said a greater use of technology and taking advantage of various partnerships will also help police better identify high-risk individuals and better implement resources. 14 people a day might not seem like a lot, but that impact will be felt by the force. There's a balance to be struck. Three of those could be high risk and be more likely to attempt suicide. Our objective is to protect vulnerable people from harm. Police and Crime Commissioner John Campion has also invested in West Mercia Search and Rescue, whose volunteers provide extra support to the police in finding those who are vulnerable. These volunteers are invaluable to the force when it comes to finding missing persons, particularly as West Mercia is separated by the River Severn. Mr Campion said, identifying and tackling the root causes <coughs> which cause people to go missing is vitally important, not only to keep vulnerable people safe, but to reduce the impact that missing people investigations have on police resources and demand. I welcome this multifaceted approach, making the best use of technology, working across agencies and innovative approaches to tackle this issue. The investments I have made are clear examples of how both West Mercia Police and I are committed to protecting the most vulnerable. A robber is behind bars after he sprayed victims with CS gas in horrendous Worcester raids, causing them to fear they had been attacked with acid. Simon Edkins showed no emotion as he was jailed for six years at Worcester Crown Court after footage of the robberies was played to a judge. The 39-year-old admitted both robberies, the first at the co-op at Ambleside Drive in Warnden on December the 23rd last year, during which he stole £300, and the second at the Texaco garage in Droitwich Road on December 29th, where he stole £200 and tobacco. Edkins further admitted two counts of possession of a prohibited weapon, the CS spray, which he used on both occasions, causing injury to three people as well as psychological harm. In the co-op robbery at 7.40pm, the injured worker was in a state of shock after the attack and is believed to have told a paramedic that he initially felt a burning sensation on his face although he did not need to go to hospital. A fire crew from Worcester was sent to the scene to help decontaminate the shop. Sally Kearns, prosecuting, said of a male victim of the co-op robbery, he was concerned he had been sprayed with acid and describes his relief when he got home that night and the night terrors he suffered afterwards. The victim, a dad, also described how nervous he felt working a late shift after the robbery and how he turned up to work and tried to put a brave face on it, but felt particularly vulnerable when his colleague went for a break. While the Texaco worker, a woman who had been employed at the petrol station for 19 years, still felt anxious a month after the robbery, she describes the great deal of shock caused initially, said Miss Cairns. 
Because of what happened, she could not work late at night, which left her £200 a month worse off and did not want to work in the garage anymore. Miss Cairns added, She was happy going to work, but now dreads it, fearing what might happen. She feels angry that the defendant did that to her for no reason. The garage worker said Edgins told her, I don't want to hurt you, but sprayed her anyway. Edkins has 11 convictions dating back to 1999, including for criminal damage, robbery, burglary, affray, possession of drugs, shoplifting and dishonestly obtaining property by deception. His last conviction was on June 27, 2008, when he was jailed for 66 months for two robberies at Witchbold stores near Droitwich, where he made threats with a hammer and at a newsagent's in Bromsgrove, where he used an imitation firearm. In both robberies, Edkins stole cash. Miss Kearns argued that the Worcester robberies were aggravated by the defendant's previous convictions and the use of a weapon. Earl Pinnock, defending Edkins, said these actions had ruined his recent improved character and that his client understood a custodial sentence was inevitable. Mr Pinnock said Edkins was deeply ashamed to see the footage here in court, and said he was remorseful, but said it was not reflected in him stopping himself from going on to commit the second robbery a few days later. He asked that his client be given a 25% reduction in his jail term for his guilty plea but accepted that the robberies had caused significant trauma to all three victims, two in the co-op and one in the Texaco garage. Mr Pinnock said Edkins had lost his job and fell into his old ways. He's about to pay the price. Let us hope there is a chink of light at the end of the tunnel, said Mr Pinnock. Recorder David Chinnery told Edkins the two robberies were absolutely horrendous, and one can only begin to imagine the effect upon the workers in those two stores because of your actions. The judge sentenced Edkins to six years in prison, half of which he must serve in custody and the other half on licence. Burglars tunnelled into a Worcester mobile phone shop during a Hatton Garden-style raid but came away empty-handed. The raiders smashed their way through the wall between the Amplifon Hearing Aid shop in the shambles and the EE phone shop next door. Workmen who had been refurbishing the hearing aid shop arrived to find a gaping hole and debris everywhere after burglars used their tools to hammer their way into the phone shop in the early hours of Monday morning. However, the burglars left with nothing. Unlike the Hatton Garden heist, where the raiders bored through a wall to make off with millions of pounds of cash, gold and gems from safety deposit boxes. The burglars used a lump hammer, hammer drill and a bolster to smash their way through acoustic soundproof boards. Two layers of brick are later uh, um, of concrete block and plasterboard. I think that's a layer of concrete block and plasterboard to get into the shop. However, police say they failed to make off with any stock. 
the burglars first attempted to get into the hearing aid shop on Saturday, breaking a padlock on the front door so that workmen had to fit a new lock. However, they returned in the early hours of Monday, levering their way inside the same door using a crowbar. It was the second attempt where most of the damage was caused and a large gaping hole was left in the wall so you could see through into the EE shop and a flight of stairs going down into the shop, phone shop's basement. The burglars also stole a Festool radio worth £150 with two batteries and a charger from the workman. The alarm went off at 2.24am on Monday. A spokesman for West Mercia Police is reminding business managers in the area to make sure they have working alarms and CCTV and that all doors and windows are secure. One of the workmen, who declined to be named, said they had a half-hearted go at it on Saturday but we put everything back to normal but we came back this morning and they had had a proper go at it, hot hat and garden style but they have left all our tools, so they must be honest burglars. On Monday, the workmen from CWC Building Refurbishments, based in Elland, Halifax, were busy trying to clear up the mess and block up the hole and put on the plasterboard for a second time. They say the actions of the burglars have set them back two days. One of the workers said, apparently EE are putting a security guard in their shop tonight until this is sorted out and police are going to pay particular attention to this road. A police spokesman said officers had conducted forensic investigations at the scene and are keen to speak to anyone who may have witnessed any suspicious activity or seen anyone running away from the scene. He said... Forensic teams have been there working with detectives and city centre police officers to identify the offenders and bring them to justice. There was a burglary at the old post office in Worcester on Sunday night into Monday morning, 7pm to 11am, which may be linked to the EE raid. The suspects levered their way through a door in Sansom Walk, though nothing was reported stolen. A homeless campaign, campaigner is outraged over an email found on a city council account which joked about dismembering him, which he saw after a GDPR request. Hugo Sugg, who, was called, who has called for greater help for the homeless since the death of Worcester rough sleeper Carden Banfield in 2016, believes the email was sent by a council worker or a councillor. He was handed the email after submitting a subject access request under General Data Protection Regulation, GDPR, laws, but the sender and recipient was redacted. The email, which was sent on October the 18th, 2017, stated, Please note, it is a requirement of this Advent calendar that actual Hugo body parts are used. Last day of the month is Halloween so it has to fit in with the theme. Then, the last door we get, his head on a plate. 
Mr. Sugg said, I am disgusted and quite upset how someone sent to for from a Worcester City Council email account that they want my body parts chopped up and put in an advent calendar with a happy smiley face afterwards. Neither myself nor the Hugo's earthquake campaign have wished physical harm on anyone. Indeed, that's what we campaign to prevent. On this matter, however, I hope for a full written apology on behalf of the City Council and that the person comes forward and makes themselves known. Mr Sugg said he has been painted as a nuisance by the council when all he is trying to do is get services better in memory of the rough sleepers that have died. The 2017 message was a reply to an an email about a Daily Mail article. Mr Sugg believes it was sent by a council officer or a councillor because he did not think such an email would go outside the council. A city council spokesman said, The city council has released information as required under the Data Protection Act. We will not be commenting further on this matter. A derelict nightclub looks set to finally be demolished to make way for apartments and shops after more than two years of delays. A plan to flatten zigzag in St John's and build 12 new apartments above shop the shop um, and office space, was approved by Worcester City Council's planning committee way back in October 2016. But there has been no progress at the club since then, despite a condition in the planning permission that work should begin within two years. <clears throat> this was due to a disagreement over Section 106 money, which is, which is funds the developer has to give the council for local infrastructure. Now the City Council has given the green light to start building the apartments after coming to a final agreement with the developer, Peter Stiles. The eyesore building has fallen into a state of severe disrepair since it closed more than 20 years ago and was ravaged by fire in August 2007. City Councillor Richard O'Dell, who represents St John's, said the old rotting building had been a scar on the face of St John's for a long time and he looked forward to work starting. He said, it's brilliant news, it will definitely improve the frontage of St John's and I'm looking forward to new shops in the community. To be honest, I'm pretty sure the vast majority of people in St John's wouldn't care what was there in the empty shop unit as long as it was something. I look forward to this scar being removed. The plan would keep the front of the old Caudal store and install space for a new shop and office, as well as eight one-bedroom and and four two-bedroom departments. Six car parking spaces would also be built at the back of the old shop and nightclub. Conditions were put in place when the scheme was approved to forego the council's usual requirement of 30% of a development to be designated as affordable housing, as well as thousands of pounds of financial contributions to the council, the Section 106 money. In 2016, discussions between the City Council and Peter Stiles revealed the development would not be worthwhile if an affordable housing quota and extra money contributions were placed on the developer. 
Council planners encouraged the planning committee to approve Peter Starr's application as the former nightclub had not attracted any attention from other developers and been left empty for several years. Well, that concludes the headline stories and Judith is now going to start on the general news. A head teacher has made a video showing everyone how easy it is to do a swab test which could help doctors save the life of a pupil young boy's life. Five-year-old Oscar Saxelby Lee has an aggressive form of leukaemia and his parents have been told they have only three months to find him a life-saving blood stem cell transplant. A campaign hand-in-hand for Oscar was launched to raise money for Oscar and his parents. On Saturday and Sunday, March the 2nd and 3rd, Pitmaston Primary School, where Oscar is a pupil, will be hosting a DKMS registration event to find stem cell donors. This will be held from 9am to 3pm on both days at the school in Malvern Road. In a video demonstrating how to complete the swab test, Pitmaston head Kate Wilcox says... It is as simple as sticking it in your mouth. You will rub that around for up to a minute, three times. Then it gets sent. It is absolutely painless, quick and simple. So please, please, let's see you at Pitmaston on March the 2nd and 3rd. You will be able to register and complete the swab test in one visit. Anyone aged between 17 and 55 can register. Residents have told councillors that a Worcester library is vital to the community. The group, called Save St John's Library Services, met at the library in St John's amid fears it would be closed or the service cut. The meeting was called in response to Worcestershire County Council's consultation on the use of local libraries and ways to make them more cost-effective. Many in attendance said they had been using the library for many years. Ruth Bennett, aged 87, said... I'm in my late 80s, I've got heart troubles, I can drive short distances, but I wouldn't want to drive any longer distances. At the library I can regularly get my books and see my friends. We get a lot of lonely people who come in just to enjoy some company. Mark Davis, who led the meeting, said, I am pessimistic that there will be services that will be cut even if the library remains open. We need to make sure there are no jobs lost at all. Mr Davis added, The consultation is not our only means of saving the services. It is a campaign we need to build. However, speaking after the meeting, Worcester MP Robin Walker reassured residents that the council may be able to find organisations such as Citizens Advice Bureau to use rooms in the libraries in a bid to keep them open. He said the St John's Library has some excellent facilities and Worcester has some very good libraries and I want to make sure they all stay open. One of the main things they're looking at is getting other organisations to offer services through the libraries to make more use of the rooms. Councillor Lucy Hodgson added, We have listened as we have reduced the saving required by 200,000. Once the consultation ends, officers will start talking with partners to look at more local solutions. As I said at full council, we are not looking at closing any library. The consultation runs until the end of February. The St John's Group has said it will be sending letters to councillors detailing the services they wish to maintain and why they are important. 
They will also be encouraging residents in St John's and the surrounding areas to sign letters which will be handed to Mr Robin Walker. Uh, here's a follow-up to the headline story regarding the uh, dismembering um, email. Um, an email which joked about dismembering a homeless campaigner was sent to a Worcester City Council account by a third party and not written by an employee or councillor, the authority says. The council claims that Hugo Sugg was aware of this fact before he approached the Worcester News to air his outrage over the email. Mr Sugg, who has campaigned for reform since the death of Worcester rough sleeper Carden Banfield, was handed the email after submitting a subject access request under GDPR laws and said he thought the message was sent by a council officer or a councillor, as the email was on the council's server. However, David Blake, managing director at the council, said, Further to the, to the uh, story in the Worcester News regarding a specific email disclosed to Mr Sugg, the council would like to clarify the facts. When the council had made the detailed data protection disclosure to Mr Sugg, we informed him that this email was not written or sent by any officer of the council or elected councillor. We have reiterated this point again to Mr Sugg. Notwithstanding, the council is not responsible for this email. We have apologised to Mr Sugg for any distress he may have suffered from receiving this information. The council originally declined to comment on the story. Mr Sugg said that while the council listed the message as an unsolicited email received, he did not understand this to mean it had come from outside the city council. The Cambridge Dictionary says unsolicited means not asked for. I didn't know if it was from outside the council. Until we see the names behind the redactions, we don't know, he said. A growing number of women and girls are flocking to a city boxing club. Every Thursday night, volunteer Ed Morris trains women and girls at Worcester City Amateur Boxing Club in Vincent Road. Alison Sidebottom, aged 33, started boxing at the club last year and has already competed in two fights. She said, When I was little, I wouldn't have dreamed of stepping into a boxing gym as I felt I'd be laughed out. I think attitudes have changed. Boxing is not seen as a man-only thing now. Just because you're not as big and strong as the lads, you can still be taken seriously. The University of Birmingham technician said she feels safer as a result of the club. I know in a fight with a bigger bloke I'll never win, but I do feel confident that I would be able to defend myself. Izzy Taylor, aged 18, who has been training since she was 15, has witnessed how the club's women's night has grown over the years. Miss Taylor said boxing has made her feel less insecure and helped reduce stress during her exams. The sixth form student added that knowing self-defence made her feel more confident when she started going out as an adult. Her mum, 
Michelle Taylor, aged 56, trains alongside her daughter. She praised Mr Morris for giving up his own time to run the sessions. Mr Morris, aged 27, told the Worcester News that he started the women's class in 2015 as a way to give back to his trainer, Mike Underwood, who runs the club. He added, You see a lot of women on the streets get jumped. I know for a fact most of the women here could knock out a bloke. Around 15 women and girls go to the club club on Thursday nights, paying £3 each to train from 6pm to 8pm. A home manager of a care home has reached the finals of this year's British Journal of Nursing, BNJ. Awards, designed to recognise the very highest levels of nursing in the country. Catherine Matthews, who manages Perry Manor Care Home, has been shortlisted for the Mental Health Nurse of the Year Award for her work creating person-centred care for people living with dementia. The home, in Charles Hastings Way, provides a range of specialist care and was recently rated as outstanding by CQC inspectors. BNJ judges said Catherine's shortlisting recognises the quality and innovative nature of the work she is doing at the home. Catherine said, I was delighted to hear I'd been shortlisted, but I see this as an acknowledgement of the whole team's work. Every day they strive to enable people, including those living with dementia, to have happy and fulfilled lives. They work to support people to communicate what they want to and what they want to express. They also support residents' families to understand the condition that has changed the lives of their loved ones. Most importantly, they never forget the golden rule We have the privilege of working in our residence home. Catherine started her nursing career as a mental health nurse, working with children and young people with severe eating disorders. Her specialist experience has enabled her to put nutrition front and centre for residents at risk of losing weight. I am very fortunate to be able to use my knowledge to support our residents. As we age, we lose our appetites. This can have an effect on our nutritional intake and, as a consequence, our health and well-being. People with dementia can also be very active, which burns off additional calories. Working with our kitchen team, we have created snack stations around the home with tasty, safe snacks in bright bowls for those living with dementia and who are very active during the day and evening. Catherine said, I'm very proud to have been shortlisted, but I'm even more proud of my team and their extraordinary commitment to our residents and the home. The winner of the BNJ's Mental Health Nurse of the Year will be announced at an event at the Globe Theatre in London on Friday, March the 8th. Hundreds of shoppers flocked to Blackpool Retail Park for the opening of the new Marks and Spencer Food Hall in Worcester Blackpool Retail Park. The ribbon was cut by store manager Andrew Ling and the first shoppers through the doors were awarded golden tickets worth money off their food shops. Worcester mum of one, Emma Ross, said, The atmosphere has been brilliant. I've come here with my mum and daughter, Aura, to stock up on all our favourite products. We love M&S and the new food hall will be so convenient for us because there's so many parking spaces. I can just nip into the food hall to grab all of the essentials as well as special treats for my family. The store announced it has nominated children's charity New Hope as its charity of the year. 
The team will host fundraising events over the next 12 months to support the charity, which provides specialist daytime care for children and teenagers with disabilities. Mr Ling said, The team has been working so hard to get ready for the opening and it's been brilliant to see the community turn out to support us today. We're excited to be part of the Worcester community, supporting amazing local charities such as New Hope, and we can't wait to get to know our local customers. Abigail Atkinson, aged 16, is a customer assistant on the bakery. She said, It's been a really exciting few weeks preparing for the new opening, and my first day is going really well so far. A brilliant success. That's how a trail of light art project in a Worcester community has been described. Around 40 households and various community organisations contributed to the Love the Arboretum project by putting illuminated artwork in their windows and gardens. Among the eye-catching displays for the February event was artwork celebrating spring, a homage to English artist Lawrence Stephen Lowry and an aquarium. Local artist Kate Brooks from Worcestershire Resource Exchange installed light sculptures at key locations including an illuminated washing line and clothes in Westbury Pocket Park and a bright creation by the old swimming pool in Sansom Walk. Jane Morehouse and the Arboretum Residents Association organised the event as she wanted to give her neighbours a reason to get out and do something during the winter. <clears throat> Mrs Morehouse, a resident, received a Worcester City Council grant to be able to launch the project. We were overwhelmed by the number of people who took part. It was fantastic. A statement on the Arboretum Residents Association Facebook page added, So many beautiful windows in the Arboretum. Thank you so much to everyone who took part and to everyone who has been out and about to see your neighbour's creativity. What a brilliant event and what a talented bunch. Commenting on the post, Emma Buckingham wrote, What a gorgeous display, super overwhelmed by the neighbourhood's talent, creativity and an evening full of surprises. Well done to all. It truly was impressive. Darren Smith added, was an incredible evening with stunning displays. Over 300 people came to pick up maps and explore the delights. Well done to all the org- who organised the event and who took part, creating such a fab vibe. Arboretum City Councillor Joy Squires praised the fabulous event, adding... Wonderful to see so many people enjoying and celebrating this amazing corner of Worcester. Well done to everyone involved, especially those who made such great efforts with their windows and gardens, and to Kate for the fantastic light installations on the canal and at the swimming pool. And there actually are some amazing pictures here showing um, the artwork that people have done um, illuminated in their windows and gardens. A new block of assisted living apartments and 64 new homes will be built on the old DEFRA site after plans were backed by councillors. 
The plan, which includes 71 extra care apartments and 64 homes, was the second phase on the old DEFRA site off Whittington Road to be backed by the City Council. The Brownfield site was earmarked as employment space in the South Worcestershire Development Plan, but the area has now been deemed unviable for employment and approval to swap it to residential was sought. Despite many councillors on the City Council's planning committee saying they were disappointed it would not be used for employment, the plans were backed by nine votes to one. Councillor Roger Berry said he was disappointed the site was not being used for its original use, particularly as it was a prime location near to the motorway. He said it was vitally important that the city built more extra care apartments. Councillor Pat Agar said she was disappointed but could not disagree with the viability experts. She said the extra care apartments were much needed. Councillor Chris Mitchell, chairman of the planning committee, said it was a good development despite his disappointment that approving it would mean a loss of employment land. Councillor Alan Amos said approving the plan would be very unwise and the planning committee should be listening to the council's planning policy officer and economic development officer who raise objections over the loss of employment land. He said, I think they are pretty big objections. We are building a lot of homes and eventually those people are going to need jobs. He said the development was already deficient of 35 car parking spaces because the plan was put together using old highways guidelines. Councillor Amos said, For the life of me, I don't think it is something we should be approving. Councillor Chris Cawthorn said she was glad to see garages and electric car charging points included in the plan and welcomed the financial contributions the developer would be making towards a community and personal travel service. As part of the plan, 41 of the 135 homes and extra care apartments would be affordable and the new extra care apartment building is expected to bring 43 new jobs. And now we'll have our sports slot. Um, And first, a story um, about a meeting which is actually taking place this very uh, evening. It's uh, Worcester City Annual General Meeting. Um, shareholders face an historic vote over changes to the club's 90-year-old constitution that would enable community ownership. As part of a five-pronged alteration, approximately 138,000 shares, 46% of the business would be gifted to Worcester City Supporters Trust, which is itself a community benefit society that operates with a board, but larger decisions get taken on a one-share-one-vote basis. The club's seven-strong board, all bar two of whom are affiliated to the Trust, would continue to run City with Worcester City Supporters Limited, essentially acting as a parent company. It will take 75% or more of the shareholding that takes part in the ballot, to pass the changes with votes weighted by the number of shares at the annual general meeting. For example, someone who has the maximum of 3,000 shares would have more clout than 50 people with 50 shares each. The Worcester News asked the opinions of fans who attended the city's game with Long Eaton United on Saturday for their thoughts on the proposed fan-owned model. The first is from an an anonymous supporter and shareholder. 
who says, I don't think it's the best idea. We need to get rid of the constitution that stops people owning more than 1% of the club. We have to be available to someone who has some money and would look after this club. We put 300-odd people through the gate. If we went fan-owned, even if they all put in £50, it would not support the club for very long. We have to have something on top and a name behind it. Through fan ownership, anyone with that kind of money can only have one share and one vote. Anyone would want a bit more say than that. We just need the cap lifting. That's the bit that needs to change. I'm sick of the stupidity I keep hearing, that he should fold the club and start again. Why would you want to lose all the history? I don't want to lose that badge, whatever the level. If the club is protected, it can always get better and climb back up. Uh, Another supporter and shareholder, Tony Spear, said, It is the only way the club is going to be able to go forward. Unless someone comes along with a bit of money, what is left will soon melt away. It's going to be a long struggle to get back to where we were. I cannot attend the AGM, but have returned my proxy vote, as have the rest of my family, in favour of the changes the board is proposing. It needs a big financial input to get it back up and running as opposed to living from hand to mouth like we are now. If I was lucky enough to win a few bob on the lottery, the football club would come into the equation. Unless something like that happens, there is no alternative to community ownership. We can carry on muddling along until all of the money is gone, but what happens then? At least the board is trying to do something before that happens and can only do that with the help and backing of the shareholders. Warriors stalwart Chris Pennell is inviting fans to a special celebration with his fellow players on his testimonial day. Pennell's testimonial day takes place on Saturday, March the 9th when Warriors face Exeter Chiefs at Six Ways. Pennell, 31, who has played for Warriors since 2007 and is celebrating his testimonial year, said, I'm thrilled to have such a memorable fixture on the testimonial day and our games against Exeter Chiefs are always the toughest of tests. It's a great opportunity to raise awareness and funds for our chosen testimonial charities too. I'm so proud to be supporting the Grace Kelly Childhood Cancer Trust, Acorns Children's Hospice and Diabetes UK for the year. The Testimonial Committee have organised a pre-game hospitality package for people who would like to support us on the day. There's a question and answers with some of the Warriors lads, food, beer, entry into the raffle and seats in the North Stand, all included. It would be amazing to have plenty of support there, cheering us on and helping out our worthy causes. For tickets, see http www.chrispennell.co.uk Director of Rugby, Alan Solomons, has credited Worcester Warriors' newfound belief for their ability to pull victories out of the fire in the Gallagher Premiership. 
Tom Howe was the hero as he scorched over with a minute to go to clinch a 17-13 success over Leicester Tigers at six ways that saw Warriors move nine points clear of the drop zone. It was the fourth time in 2019 that Worcester had come from behind to win as they stunned Bath, Ospreys and Stade Francais in January. Solomon said those previous comeback triumphs and their last gap win at Leicester in September had given his side the confidence to overhaul their three-point deficit against Tigers. I would say to our supporters that they should always stay right until the end, as we have done this on a number of occasions, Solomon said. Funnily enough, against Leicester it was a draw, and Ted Hill got the try in the left-hand corner and the kick from Duncan Weir ended the game. Similarly, here against Stad and Bath, we came back. That's a positive thing for the players, to know that even though it is coming to the end of the game, there's always that possibility of winning. It's a very important lesson to learn, as a game is never over until it has finished. Once you start doing that, you develop the belief and the confidence that it is needed to pull it out of the fire. After Tom Tom Hardwick put Tigers 13-10 in front with a 66th minute, penalty Warriors had two chances to level the scores. But on both occasions, fly half Duncan Weir and vice-captain Marco Mama turned down the kickable penalties and opted to set up attacking line-outs. Of course they wanted to win, Solomon said. I think you have got to look at those opportunities. One was five or six metres in from the left-hand touchline and Duncan must have felt that it was quite a difficult kick. The other one was under the posts, but a wee bit out of his range. Chris Pennell could possibly have kicked it, but the guys thought it was risky and obviously going for the win was better than a draw. Hindsight is an exact science, so it's a good decision now. At times, I do feel that we did not play enough field position and used that to build the pressure. But I think overall and on balance, we deserve to edge it. Warriors gifted Tigers a try on the half-hour mark when Weir's pass was intercepted by Jonah Holmes, who ran um, almost the length of the field to score. Solomon said it was an enormous moment in the match, but he refused to be drawn into questions over the two tries Tigers had chalked off before Francis Hugard went over at the start of the second half. Jordan Olawafella's score was ruled out for forward pass by Kyle Eastman before a TMO decision went against Tigers again, as Gareth Owen was deemed to have obstructed Weir when Ben White went over. I would not like to comment on it until I've watched it, Solomon's added. You do have a little bit of a playback during the game, but I don't sit and analyse them. It will be easier once I've viewed the film. Now, um, an item uh, from St Richard's Hospice uh, by their engagement officer um, linking with um, a group of people Um, about whom much has been written this last winter. And Alice writes, Last year we started a working group with St Paul's Hostel, Mag's Day Centre, caring for communities and people, and community support officers, to explore how end-of-life care can be improved for people experiencing homelessness. The group recognised there is a lack of knowledge and awareness around end-of-life care for those working in homelessness services. 
So we carried out a survey to identify training needs, which was completed by staff and volunteers from South Worcestershire organisations, including food banks, hostels, churches and the police. The results proved eye-opening and placed a spotlight on the need for further education around end-of-life care and how it can be accessed by those experiencing homelessness. The survey revealed the majority of respondents had come into contact with homeless people who have a life-limiting diagnosis. One person said they had experienced this half a dozen times in the past six months. Saying the wrong thing at the wrong time and not meeting the needs of that person by missing out on support available were among the greatest anxieties in supporting someone with rapidly deteriorating health. In addition, most of the respondents said they did not feel confident supporting someone experiencing bereavement. Whilst we found most had a clear understanding of palliative care, many were uncertain of the services St Richard's Hospice could provide and requested more information. This research is very valuable to us, as now we can put measures into place to better educate and support those working with people experiencing homelessness, ultimately helping to improve end-of-life care for this community. We will be inviting staff and volunteers working in this area to visit St Richard's for a tour, helping dispel myths around hospice care and increase understanding of our services. Plans are in place to investigate e-learning options for communication skills around death, dying and bereavement. Staff and volunteers at the hospice are also being surveyed to identify internal training needs when supporting a patient who is homeless. If you'd like more information or to discuss it further, please contact uh, Alice on 01905 763963 or email aspearing at strichards.org.uk. A thief who used a pensioner's stolen bank cards for a spending spree was denied permission to use the toilet after her arrest in case she tried to flush away evidence. Using CCTV footage, police were able to pinpoint Constantina Constantin as a person of interest after a 72-year-old's phone and cards were stolen before an eagle-eyed PCSO spotted her while on foot patrol in Droitwich. PC Tony Carter arrested Constantin, 41, on December the 29th before a receipt for one of the fraudulent transactions was found during a search. When Constantine was arrested, she immediately asked to use the toilet, a request which was denied, as we feared she would try and dispose of evidence relating to the case, said PC Carter. The officer went on to say, once the thief was transported to custody, she was seen to act furtively in the police car when police body-worn CCTV footage was reviewed. A search of the police car where Constantine was sitting recovered a receipt for the time and date and amount of one of the fraudulent transactions, said PC Carter. 
This helped to complete the case and linked the offences up. When appearing before magistrates in Worcester on January the 31st, Constantine was found guilty of charges in relation to handling stolen goods and six fraud offences. She was ordered to pay £102 in compensation and £215 in court costs and a £200 fine. The victim was out shopping in Droitwich on December the 27th when she noticed her phone and bank cards were missing. She was asked to recount her movements during that day and from that information, investigating officers were able to view internal and external CCTV. By contacting the victim's bank, officers were also able to establish the time and stores where the cards were fraudulently used. However, the victim's phone, which includes irreplaceable family photos, has not been recovered. A motorbike showroom is due to open at the site of a closed restaurant. Detroit's in Castle Street is being transformed into a Ducati dealership. The £1 million showroom is expected to open at the end of April after construction workers have completed a 10-week refurbishment project. Chris Booth, the owner of Ducati Manchester Group, said he was excited about opening a dealership in Worcester. He added, Worcester is the gateway to some of the best biking roads in the UK. We can't wait to welcome the local biking community to the store and provide a service that is second to none in the area. Simon Ashcroft, Operations Director for Construction, which is refitting the building, said, We are doing a full floor-to-ceiling refurb. We are looking forward to opening something nice and shiny and renewing a building with lots of potential. Up to 10 jobs are set to be created at the new dealership, which will be Ducati's Ma Ducati Manchester Group's fourth showroom in the UK. Mr Booth is renting the property from the Greveson family who own Worcester Car Sales Limited. Detroit's, which overlooks Worcester Racecourse, closed in May 2016 after the restaurant decided not to renew its lease. The Pinches family, who run a number of establishments in the city, planned to reopen the property as a family restaurant. However, the project did not go ahead despite receiving planning permission from the council. Aladita, city councillor for the area, said, It's much better that it's going to op be open. It looks derelict at the moment. I think it would help from a vandalism point of view and a great get rid of an eyesore. It was originally a Jaguar showroom, but closed about 10 years ago. It was closed for a long time and was then turned into a restaurant. Detroit's opened in 2011. A waste collection company says it has taken steps to address overflowing bins in the city, although it refused to reveal what these actions were. City Councillor Richard Udall criticised Papa John's and Walkstar in St John's for the state of their bins. However, the two takeaways blamed the mess on the waste collection company Biffa, which did not pick up their rubbish at the weekend. Worcester City Council has been considering issuing warnings against the two companies in Bush Walk, which could ultimately result in court action. Aaron Berry, manager of Walkstar, said, One of the bins is ours. We have separated it from the Papa John's bin now. We don't allow our rubbish to be left around the area. Biffa, the waste collection company, 
are responsible for collecting it twice a week and I've been told there was a large vehicle blocking access to the bins over the weekend. They weren't able to make the collection. If they don't collect on time, the rubbish builds up. The overflowing bags were from Papa John's. We had to have words with them as it's fly-tipping. Mr Berry said Biffa collects rubbish from both of the bins. However, he said Walkstar put its excess bags in the back of the store. He added that he understood why the council had to take enforcement action over the overflowing bins. Jack Fazy, manager of Papa John's, said we had no choice but to put them to the side of the bins as Biffa wasn't picking them up. We called them. They said it's because one of their lorries broke down. Mr Fazy took full responsibility for the bags around the bins and apologised for any inconvenience. He added he had moved the business's bin so that people on mobility scooters could get past. A spokesperson for Biffa said, Biffa takes customer satisfaction very seriously. We are aware of the situation in both cases and steps have been put in place to address these two separate instances. However, Biffa would not tell the Worcester News what steps it took, nor whether it failed to collect the bins over the weekend. Worcester City Council, which reportedly previously fined Papa John's for littering, declined to comment in response to Papa John's and Walkstar's claims that the mess was Biffa's fault. I was fined for parking in my own space, says an angry resident after losing an appeal. Tom Dennison, aged 29, had recently moved into his apartment in Diglis when he was fined for parking his car in his designated space, despite having a permit. Mr Dennison said, I came down one morning from my apartment and realised my car had a yellow ticket on it. I knew straight away what it was. It is an absolute joke how I was fined for parking in my own car parking space. Mr Dennison claims he had not been supplied with a permit holder. Therefore, he had placed the permit on his dashboard to be visible. He says that as he closed the car door, the permit must have accidentally slid down and was not in sight. Mr Dennison said, I had recently moved into the building and the parking permit I had been supplied with did not come with a permit holder. Upon closing the door to the car, the permit slipped out of view on the dashboard and I was subsequently fined. Mr Dennison contacted Parking Control Management UK Limited, which monitors the area, to appeal the fine. He informed the company he holds a permit and it was present in the car. Mr Dennison said, I believe that the terms and conditions did mention that permits need to be on show but given I own the parking space, it was an accident and the permit was present in the car and I was not supplied with a permit holder. I feel this fine was severely unfair. My appeal was denied and I was forced to pay the £60 fine. It's theft. They are exploiting people for money. I was so annoyed. Not only to be fined, but the appeal procedure is frustrating. It is a kick in the teeth that my situation was acknowledged and they understood what had happened, but my appeal was still denied. He added, 
The company responded and told me that due to their terms and conditions, it is not their responsibility that the permit was not in sight. The Worcester News contacted Parking Control Management UK Limited for comment, but nobody from the company responded. A cabinet member who claimed there is no such thing as free parking in the real world has claimed more than 40 parking tickets on expenses. Councillor John Smith, Cabinet Member for Health and Wellbeing at Worcestershire County Council, said a call for a free parking trial for staff at Worcestershire Royal Hospital was totally unsustainable and would lose the NHS millions a year. At a meeting of the full County Council last week, Councillor Smith said, Whilst everybody would love to have free parking, there is no such thing as free parking in the real world. He said we all know car parking is a contentious issue. I'm sure everyone here would love to have free car parking, but unfortunately, in the real world, there is no such thing as free car parking. However, despite his comments, the Worcester News can reveal that between April 2013 and December 2017, Councillor Smith claimed back more than £130 for 41 parking tickets used whilst on council duty, including a £1 ticket in June 2017 a £1.20 ticket in November 2015 and a £1.50 ticket in August 2015. Councillor Smith, who claimed for a £4.70 car parking ticket when visiting Starfish Health and Wellbeing in Cannock, Staffordshire in September 2017, a counselling service used by the NHS. Parking is free for all councillors and county council staff at County Hall. Labour councillors called on council bosses to get the ball rolling on tackling the problem of parking around hospitals and expensive parking charges. Councillor John Smith, who is also chairman of the county's Health and Wellbeing Board, said free parking would cause Worcestershire's acute hospitals to lose at least £5 million a year if charges were scrapped. A spokesman for Worcestershire County Council said councillors are able to claim out-of-pocket travel and parking charges when they're on official business. Patients are facing long waits for operations to be rescheduled after hospitals cancel them at the last minute, figures show, with Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust the worst performer. One in 13, that's 8% operations that were cancelled at the last minute in the three months to December across the county were not rescheduled within the mandatory 28-day period set down by the NHS. This is the worst proportion on record for 14 years and has been getting worse year on year. In the previous two years, 7.3% of operations were not rescheduled within the time frame, while the figure was just 3.8% in 2011-12. The data covers cancellations for non-clinical reasons, such as bed or staff shortages, and does not include patients cancelling the operations themselves. Last minute means on the day the patient was due to arrive, after the patient has arrived in hospital or on the day of the operation or surgery. At Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust, there were 160 cancellations and 52 not rescheduled, giving a breach rate of 32.5%.
In total, 73 trusts performed worse than during the previous year. The NHS England data did show, however, that the overall number of cancelled operations across England has slightly fallen. There were 20,145 last-minute cancellations of non-urgent operations, such as hip or knee surgeries, including the three-month period down on the same three months in the previous year, when there were 21,984 cancellations. The Mayor of Worcester had to explain that he did not want to fight a fellow councillor during a heated Worcester City Council debate. Councillor Jabba Riaz criticised Councillor Chris Mitchell in a clash over whether debating the merits of a recent parish by-election was a necessary use of the City Council's time. Councillor Mitchell was called on the Mayor to be consistent Sorry, Councillor Mitchell called on the Mayor to be consistent in his approach to questions after Councillor Riaz had accused Councillor Stephen Hodgson of wasting time. He said, Next time someone brings up a letter to Westminster, I hope you bring up the same objection. You have to be consistent, Mr Mayor. Labour's Councillor Riaz said to the senior Conservative councillor, If you want to make allegations, Councillor Mitchell, then I suggest you see me outside, okay? Councillor Riaz, who chairs full City Council meetings, later apologised and said he hoped his words had not been misinterpreted as him challenging Councillor Mitchell to a fight. Councillor Mitchell replied, Mr Mayor, I go back to treating people with respect. I am very happy to take you up on your offer, but I think you would lose. At the end of the debate, Councillor Riaz reminded the council that his theme for the year as mayor was love, not hate, and apologised for his comments. Councillor Mitchell replied, apology accepted. Good choice. There has been widespread indignation over a council's decision to chop down much-loved cherry trees in Worcester. The Commandery Road trees were felled at the order of the Worcestershire County Council to the dismay of city councillors Lynn Denham and Louise Griffiths, who both said they were not informed in advance about the decision. The felling caused outrage among residents, with many taking to the Worcester News website and Facebook page to express their anger. Sid Snipe wrote... What is wrong with our local authority? Buffoons! Those trees were just wonderful when in bloom and brightened up the end of this litter-strewn and dreary area. It's too late now, but I fully expect city and county councillors to ask some searching questions and outrageous act of vandalism. City councillor Louis Stephen added, This is appalling. They were beautiful trees and just about to blossom. Yet again, no consultation with local councillors. The county council seemed to have a vendetta against trees. Anagoni said, We cannot criticise those who cut down their their essential, to us all, rainforests when we take down our trees whenever they get in our way. Roger said, Here's a radical idea. Plant a few trees in the vicinity of the ones that are nearing the end of their lives. Presumably quite predictable and let the new plantings get established before chopping down the old ones, giving them five years or more.
It will be 10 to 15 years before we see a display the like of the magnificent cherries that have just been butchered. All this talk of reducing emissions and the council cuts down a huge number of anti-pollutants, common sense, it is not. But not everyone was critical of the decision to fell the trees. New Kid on the Block said, It does appear that the centre of at least one of the trees was rotting, which is apparently common in cherry trees. So it may be true that they were coming to the end of their life. Were the trunks just cut into short lengths and scrapped, or were they kept whole and taken to a sawmill? The timber of a cherry tree is considered to be a very luxurious timber for furniture making, hence it is worth good money. No one likes to see trees cut down, but if good use is made of the timber and replacements are planted, it is all part of a cycle. A two-storey modern home on green space on the edge of Gullivelt Park will be built after being enthusiastically backed by councillors. Permission for the curved home on land off Lavender Road, which was previously as a garden for the original park keeper's cottage, was backed by Worcester City Council's planning committee. Councillor Stuart Denley-Maxwell said the new home would be an improvement to the area because it was currently an absolute mess. He said, I am concerned about the size of it, but I am finding it difficult to find any real planning objection to it. The plan also included planting new trees, hedgerows, nesting boxes and bat lofts as part of extensive landscaping. Councillor Alan Amos called the home a monstrosity and questioned why the planning committee was even considering the application when it was contrary to its use set out in the South Worcestershire Development Plan. He said, what a monstrosity this is going to be. There is no way that this is going to blend in with the park. There is a real problem here. Do we draw the line somewhere? We have plans that don't fit with our policies, yet we are still told to approve it anyway. We have this pick-and-mix policy, where we use it when it suits us and ignore it when it doesn't. This is clearly against our policy. Councillor Joy Squires said the home would improve the area and she was sure neighbours would be in favour of doing something with the space, rather than nothing. Councillor Squires said it was also nice to see a fabulous modern design, when many homes in planning applications that came before the committee looked the same. She said, We are constantly approving the same sort of design. We did it today, we did it last month, and we will do it again next month. Councillor Pat Agar, Vice-Chairman of the Planning Committee, said it is contrary to policy, but there is existing permission on this site. I am not averse to modern design and it fits better than the previous one. A young woman who was hit with a £405 fine for dropping a cigarette butt in Worcester ignored two warnings from the council before being prosecuted. Emily Atwood, 21, dropped a cigarette butt in Spring Gardens on August the 2nd last year and was given two £75 fines by a council enforcement officer, one for littering and another for failing to hand over her personal details. 
After failing to pay the fine within the required 28 days, Atwood of Chatcombe Drive was sent a reminder by the council on August the 23rd, which she ignored, and a second reminder on September the 6th, which she ignored again. Failing to pay the fine and having ignored both warnings, the City Council decided to carry on with prosecuting Atwood and she was summoned to appear at Worcester Magistrates Court on February the 8th. Whilst Atwood did not attend in person, she pleaded guilty and apologised to the court. Magistrates ordered Atwood to pay a fine of £100 for dropping the cigarette butt and £75 for failing to give her name to the enforcement officer. Both fines were reduced by a third because of her guilty plea. Atwood also had to pay £175 in court costs and a £30 victim surcharge. A spokesman for the City Council said, Worcester has a strong reputation as one of the cleanest cities in the country and the City Council is dedicated to maintaining that reputation. We hope this case will make other people think twice before they drop litter on the city's streets. However, some Worcester news readers felt the fine was excessive. Sid Snipe said, Seems excessive to me. She won't do it again, but I still feel for her. £80 to £100 would have been fair. And Fantasy News said, Shame they do not pursue those who let their dogs foul streets with equal vigour. Plans for a new shop to take over a city DIY store have moved a step closer after a 33-year-old ruling was scrapped by council planners. The range is set to move into the city's home-based store in Hilton Road after a three-decade decree meant the DIY chain could be the sole operator of the building. Worcester City Council's planning committee voted in favour of scrapping the rule and allowing a range of goods to be sold from the site. The decision would allow the range to move into the building. Councillor Bill Amos said, I think the range is an excellent choice to take over a vacant premises and I think it will maintain the vibrancy of the area. It will provide security of employment for those already working there. If it's left empty, I think we will have vandalism and graffiti. St John's is the already blighted by empty properties which are a real eyesore and detract from people visiting. I think this is an investment in the area. It allows confidence, it shows confidence and it will maintain the vibrancy of the retail area down there. Councillor Pat Agar, Vice Chairman of the Planning Committee, said, It is a good employment site and we do need jobs. It was announced in December last year that the range would be moving into the DIY and Garden Centre after an application was submitted to the Council. Planning permission was granted to home base by the council in 1986 with the firm condition meaning the range had to apply to change the use of the building to allow a variety of goods to be sold. MWA Planning and Development Consultancy, the planning agent for the range, said the store's takeover would create 85 jobs. And that's our last uh, news story for this uh, recording. Um, I'm going to now finish with the thought for the day, which is taken from uh, St Luke's Gospel, chapter 18, verses 15 to 17. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, 
Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. So it remains for me, Elizabeth Hill, to thank our engineer Duncan Wynne and my fellow readers, Judith Doherty and Sally Rowe, uh, to sign off. But um, for those of you who would like to listen to the obituaries, they will follow after the concluding music. So play the music through and the obituaries will be read after that. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Now, the following deaths have been announced during the last week. Uh, these funerals will have already taken place. June Margaret ne, uh, Barrow Ney Harris passed away January 25th uh, and the funeral service was on Tuesday, February the 26th with donations to Headway Brain Injury and Age Concern um, and be sent to AV Band Funeral Directors Worcester. Mary Elizabeth Howell passed away suddenly on January the 30th. Her funeral service was on March the 1st with donations for the British Polio Fellowship um, sent to E.J. Gumry and Son, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR37EU. Funeral still to take place. David Boyce passed away February 13th. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium, Monday, March the 4th at 1pm. Donations to World Wildlife Fund, care of Bedwardine Funeral Services, 30 Bromyard Road, Worcester, 01905 Raymond Joseph Haddon passed away on February the 13th. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium Chapel on Monday, March the 4th at 12.15pm, followed by interment at St John's Cemetery. Donations, if desired, for the RSPCA or Dogs Trust can be left on the collection plate or sent to EJ Gumry and Son. Details as before. Mary Hadley Thomas passed away February the 4th uh, funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Monday, March the 4th at 11.30am. Donations in lieu of flowers for New Hope can be left at the crematorium or sent to the Culprative Funeral Care, 17 Lowesmore, Worcester, WR12RS. Alice Mary Mears passed away on February the 10th. Funeral service at Bromwich Road Mission Free Church, 150-156 Bromwich Road, uh, Worcester WR24AS, on Thursday the 7th of March at 10am, followed by a short service of committal at Worcester Crematorium. Donations for Bromwich Road Mission Free Church can be left uh, or sent to the Cooperative Funeral Care 
details as before. Robert Allen, known as Bob Perry, ex-Ebenezer Bayliss, passed away February 17th. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium, Aswood Road, on Thursday, March the 7th at 1pm. Donations welcome for St Richard's Hospice and British Heart Foundation can be left at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gumry and Son. Details as before. Um, actually, here's a couple for the 5th. Susan Brunger passed away February the 5th. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium, Tuesday, March the 5th at 11.30am. Donations for Midland Air Ambulance can be sent to Bedwardine Funeral Services. Also on the 5th is Helen, known as Nellie Sylvester, who passed away on February the 8th. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium at 10am on Tuesday, March the 5th. Donations for St Richard's Hospice can be left at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gumry and Son. Jean Kettle, née Wills, passed away February 17th. Funeral service at St Mary's Church, Kemsey, Wednesday, March the 6th at 2pm, followed by interment in the churchyard. Donations for Save the Children um, can be sent to um, the co-op funeral care or placed in the collection box. Uh, flowers can be sent to cooperative funeral care details as before. Sydney James, known as Jim Lewis, uh, passed away on um, the 5th of February. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium, Monday, March the 11th at 1pm. Donations for Worcestershire Disability Football Club or Cancer Research can be left in the collection box or sent to Bedwardine Funeral Services. Tony Craven passed away February the 15th. Uh, he was a teacher at Worcester Girls Grammar School. His funeral is actually in Loughborough um, at the crematorium on March the 11th at 11.45am. Doreen Wright passed away February 14th. Funeral service at Redditch Crematorium on March 13th at 11.45. Donations for, for Alzheimer's Society with inquiries to George Crump and Son, 01905-77339. And finally, Jackie Gwynne, née Alford, passed away suddenly February 14th. Funeral on March the 18th at 10.45am at Worcester Crematorium. Donations, if desired, for Acorns Children's Hospice or St Richard's Hospice may be left at the crematorium or sent to AV Band, St John's, 1 Melvin Road, WR2 4LE. Our thoughts and prayers go to all of those who have lost loved ones recently. And that concludes this week's recording.